Hello and welcome to another episode of Huck and Ride Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Jason Simpson, with my co-host, Lala. And we are presented by Kenda Tires. Thank you, Kenda, for your continued support of the program. And you can find Huck and Ride Podcast on all major media platforms, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, whatever tickles your fancy, you can find us there. Um, Leave us a review, high fives, you know, click that like button, keep us going. Absolutely, and share with your friends, get get the good word out there. And thank you for those who continue to listen and support our program, we appreciate it. Today, Lala, why don't you introduce our guest who we have today? Well, we are uh, we are special enough to have a special uh, guest that's been in the industry for a really long time, um, and I never met him face to face until here shortly. And I actually work for the guy who's amazing, and I love his stories. So, Mr. Craig Kundig, Hall of Famer himself. <laughs> Hello. Happy <laughs> <of the> <laughs> Thanks for being with us. Sure. So, Craig, um, let's jump in. So, you are the owner of Cycle USA. Yep. And you have three locations. Yes. Rancho, the, Redlands, and Riverside. You have a thing for R's. So, are yes, there I others? Apparently. Apparently. <laughs> there are other yes. cities with R's that you're going to take over? Not yet, but I'm looking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, how did you get started in the cycling industry? Well, when I was very young, uh, my father bought the local bike and sporty goods store. Uh, it was a Schwinn dealer at the time, and he thought the wave of the future was for bikes to be alone in bike shops and have specific standalones rather than sporting a thing. So he immediately sold out everything in the store that wasn't bikes. Uh, had Schwinn come in and remodel the new style they were doing. This was like in 1968. And he made it into a Schwinn bike store specific. And I was like 12, 13 when this all was taking place. So I basically started it's helping out. It's weird because you're only 40 years old now. So Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> way beyond. Way beyond. <laughs> just, just, uh, just ask my insurance agent. <laughs> um, anyway, so that was, uh, I kind of got into it that way. And, um, uh, that was when the Stingray was a big deal and the Orange Crate was coming out and all this exciting stuff and that kids liked. And uh, so I was attracted to it. Um, and I started helping out on weekends. And as I got older and older and older, I kept uh, working there more and more. And it, it was pretty good as well as any relationship can be when you're battling back and forth with your father, you know, sure. back and forth as I was trying to grow up and learn things. And um, later on in life, uh, when I got to be, I was still working there on and off and going to school and doing other stuff. My father got ill when I, around, when I was around age 21 uh, with cancer. And I came back to work full time then to run the store, which we only had one at the time, which was Redlands, which was our flagship now. And uh, after he came back to work, we came to the conclusion that we couldn't work under the same roof anymore because after I'd done it my way for a year, I didn't want to go back to his way. Okay. And during that time, I'd really discovered BMX, which was something that wasn't going on in Redlands, but it was going on in some of the cities around us. So he kindly went and bought a very rundown store in Riverside and said, here, sink or swim. So 
that's how we got our Riverside store, and that was in 78, probably about 10 years after we bought the first store. So that was when my commitment was full bore. I was in charge of a store, and I worked with my dad for about three or four more years, and unfortunately he eventually succumbed to cancer and passed away when I was 26. And so then I took it over with my mom, who was the entire time was the bookkeeper and all that stuff. Okay. So she and I became partners. And I never loved the retail part of the business, but I love the sport. Uh, the first thing I did when I took over the Riverside store is I made a BMX team. And, and within a year, I was operating the Corona Downhill as well, racetrack, because I loved racing and I loved competition. So that was my favorite part of the sport. The retail was something you had to do to make a living, mm -hmm. but the racing was what was fun. Yeah. Okay. And in between there, I, I know there's a, just from a story you've told me, um, in between you leaving and then coming and working, um, getting your store, working back, you did something really cool in between there. Um, and I think you have an old one hanging up in the frame in there. Is that the time frame you did that? Yes. Uh, the time frame that I did that was after I came back uh, to this. Once we bought the Riverside store and I connected with Corona Raceway, I got real intrigued. So I started a bike shop team. Uh, we were Redlands and Riverside Schwinn, so it was that's what we called it. And I kept looking at everything, and I always liked to figure out how to make things different or better. And we decided there were some things that we could improve on BMX. It was still pretty young at the time. So we came up with a, uh, a frame design called um, RRS, because we weren't that creative, and we already had those three initials on the jersey. And uh, <laughs> we created a 20-inch a, a bike, and it had cantilever brakes. It had a, uh, an eccentric bottom bracket to adjust the chain tension because the um, rear dropouts were fixed so those were things that we thought braking was a big problem with bmx at the time so that was our solution to it and rs uh was fun for me it was create creating products and all that and the bikes did very well but we were very limited our budget was limited we weren't building a lot at a time 50 or 100 at a time and that was really a lot of fun learning about manufacturing and learning about bikes and learning about technology and learning about how to build stuff and then uh after then a little later on we were sitting around talking about bikes and we said you know the cruiser is anything with 24 and under and we're watching all these people race 26 or, excuse me 24 and over wheel size we're watching all these people race these cruisers and they are just not uh, conducive of these tight tracks that ABA is using, these 26-inch wheel bikes, let's make a 24-inch wheel. So we had little time to do it, and like I said, not a lot of resources. So we actually took a Schwinn 24-inch wheel Varsity, knocked the kickstand off of it, bought two Univega unicycles because they had alloy rims on them, took them apart to lace the wheels up. They were the only place we could find aluminum 24-inch rims. Cook Brothers made us a fork. 24 inch they just i don't know what you're up to but here's one <laughs> and we put the whole thing together and it was a week before a national in anaheim and uh we said nobody wanted to try it most of our kids thought we'd lost our mind so this uh pretty average 16 year old expert named tony mcdaniel said well i'll try it so this is in a day when 
all the cruisers race together, the pros, Scott Breithop and Jeff Cosmall and all the names in BMX all race together. So we showed up at this track and it's Anaheim. It's a hardwood floor, which meant we could use the unicycle tires as well, which were pretty blue white walls. <laughs> and uh, that's why we painted the bike blue, I think. Anyway, so we get there and we register Tony. And this is an inside course, hardwood floor, wooden ramps. And all the guys there and everybody's kind of looking at him like, what's the bike looks weird or anything. Well, Tony wins all three of his motos against all the pros. No one can corner with him. No one can accelerate. The flywheel effect of having a 24-inch wheel versus 26 accelerates out of the gate way faster. He had every hole shot. He won his semi. I don't even know how many tiers were. Bottom line is he won the main against every major name. So everybody is just like, what, what happened here? So Richard Long, who owned GT at the time and was a little bit irritated at me because I'd taken his 14 expert the week before, uh, a really amazing BMXer by the name of Daryl Young, thought I'd found some great star rider and promptly stole my guy the next week from me, uh, <laughs> offering him much more than I could. He was only a thousand times bigger than I was, Yeah, much to his surprise that he didn't go very fast on a 26-inch. So it didn't take very long for everyone to figure out. First they filed protests, and then they read the rule book, and we were right. Couldn't do anything about it. And within a week or two, I was getting phone calls from, like, Redline and other people saying, hey, do you want to tell me the geometry, or do I need to steal it, or how are you going to do this? So <laughs> anyway, um, that's probably what RS really, although it started out as a company with oh, because of brakes and sensor and everything, the 24-inch wheel uh, cruiser really put us on the map. And that was my, uh, claim to fame. As you mentioned, I'm in the BMX hall of fame and it was for partially for the creative creating of the RS 24 inch cruiser, uh, the creative of the RS with the parts. And then during those same times I wrote for several cycling publications doing tests on product. And then I also was a track operator for a while. So I was very immersed in BMX those years. I really, really enjoyed it. Wow. That's quite, you, quite a history right there. I told you he's intriguing on oh, some yeah. of the stories I get out here and there. You know? so, so you're in uh, the Riverside location doing a bunch of BMX stuff. It blows up. I mean, I'm, I was a young kid at the time. I remember just BMX. I never raced it, but I was always into buying the magazines and trying to do stupid jumps and, you know, all that stuff. But so who were some of the names that um, came, you know, in those early years? Who were some of the, you mentioned a, a few riders, but I know there were some other big names that came through your, your program, or at least you, you helped out. Yeah, there were quite a few that came through the program. There are a lot, uh, there's, there's, a, <laughs> there's a fairly famous rider, not famous for, uh, he won a lot, uh, named Kevin McNeil, who was a famous pro at the time, and he rarely lost at Corona. Corona was a, a downhill course that was just the fastest course probably in America at the time, and Kevin would always win there, but he was uh, very unconventional, a little bit, um, some people felt a little reckless when he rode. So, But Kevin was there, uh, but even the ones that I didn't have, and I sponsored Kevin for a while, even though I didn't sponsor, I had a lot of opportunities to meet a lot of people. Lee Medlin was a, a great writer through there. We became good friends. He lived in Riverside. Mike Miranda as Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> I sponsored him when he was about 15 years old as a 15-year-old novice. I probably was his first sponsor or okay. his first or second. 
So a lot of these people uh, came through there. Uh, Troy Daniels out of Washington became a very prominent writer uh, in later years. Um, uh, my poster boy at the beginning of all this was a kid by the name of Jeff Rutherford, who was the dominant force at the time in the 10-year-old class. He was winning you know, everything in the 10-year-old class. And the very first RS I ever made, I made for him. And we made that by going to a builder which was Gary Turner, because I had more respect for Gary than you can imagine. I thought he and Richard's GT company was phenomenal, and I had a lot of respect for Gary who was building them. And my very first RS was a GT. I went to them and I said, build me a GT, uh, but I want a 10-speed head tube in it, which they weren't doing on full-size bikes. I want a big bottom bracket. I don't want a brake bridge, and I don't want dropouts. And he goes, just kind of shook his head and goes, yeah, okay. <laughs> and gave it to me. Then I took it to my builder and finished it up. And it was designed for Jeff, my 10-year-old. Okay. Very cool. All right. <laughs> so um, so you have the, the Riverside store. Mm. And then, uh, as you mentioned, unfortunately, Dad passed away. Your, your um, business partner is now with Mom. Mm -hmm. And how many years goes by before you end up getting a third location? Well, my first third location came about 10 years after Riverside, and that was Palm Springs. Okay. I bought Palm Springs. We kept it for five years, and then I actually sold it to my manager, who is Chris Cross, who is still a very close friend, um, who has done a great job with it and still owns it to this point, Palm Springs Cyclery. So he was, that was it. And then about 10 years ago, 10, 11 years ago, we opened another uh, location, which was uh, our store in uh, Rancho Cucamonga, which okay. we still have. I bought a few other stores in between those days, but I didn't buy them to keep. I bought them as they were going out of business. Uh, I would buy their phone numbers and had it roll over to my line if it was a Riverside store, or I would buy their inventory out and things like that. But the only... Uh, bought out the other Schwinn dealer in Riverside uh, and kept it separate. Uh, this was in uh, about, let's see, about 88. And then I just merged them together after a year. But I bought them out. I tried operating separately five miles apart. Not a good idea, and I merged them together. So okay. lots of uh, lots of changes in the business over the years. Yeah. Over the, over this time, though, like I know you had said when Dad passed, you're talking to a guy who grew up working with his dad as well. So I'm sure that was uh, fun times. Did he like the direction you were taking the Riverside store? I mean, because I know Jay, you know, father and son working together all the time. I mean, he gave you a place. Jay does flooring and, you know, so. Yeah. Um, I think at first, when I first learned about BMX and I started trying to convince him to carry more BMX products, the price of the products were overwhelming. We were pretty much strictly a Schwinn store, and Schwinn was really late to get into BMX. They were worried about warranties and all this, so they really opened the door for the Mongoose and Redlines and all the people of the world by being so slow. But as I learned about it, and it's funny, I learned about mostly about BMX by going to a Schwinn service school when I was probably 18 or 19 in there. And a there were sort of people from the one of them was a guy that worked at a Schwinn dealership in Canoga Park, and they were the biggest BMX thing. And I 
picked his brain every day while we were there. And I got so excited because at that point, I had raced motocross just mm -hmm. for fun. You know, we had, so I, BMX and motocross, that just clicked with me immediately. If I can take something, riding bikes in the dirt, yeah. I like this. So, yeah, yeah so it was, um, he's the one that taught me a lot about BMX. And when I brought back, my father was, I remember I, one of the first things I wanted to order were tough necks. And he looked how much they were, and he goes, we can't sell these things this much. I go, kids will buy them. So sorry with those. And then trying to show the, them a the pair. old school goosenecks. Yeah, yeah right. right. And then I'm, I'm ordering a pair of red line forks that are made out of chromoly. And he goes, are you out of your mind? You know, I said, well, we, we got to try some of this stuff. And I remember the very first Schwinn Stingray, I talked them into lacing in a, a wider wheel up front because Stingrays have different rims front and rear at the time. But in the laser wheel, putting on a aftermarket bar, putting on knobby tires yeah. and putting it out on the floor. And like it sold in two days. And I'm like, hmm. So Redlands was way behind in BMX after all the BMX, but Riverside was in full swing. Corona was a track. Yeah. Everybody was already racing. There were probably, by the time I bought, there were probably 50 kids in Riverside already racing. And as more tracks kept opening right after that. And, and there was a lot of racing going on. It was completely different markets, Redlands and Riverside. Yeah. Was the, um, was the track in Corona, was it combined was it with the motocross track? Yes, it okay. was. It was on the back side of the uh, thing. That was that was my, my first motocross race. Was I, I think I shared that in another podcast where I, I raced at night at Corona, and it was just black holes everywhere because the lighting was horrible. <laughs> my, my 90, I only raced probably 20 sometimes, and 90% were at Corona. So my first race was at Corona, and it was... Uh, probably was when i was 15 or 6 sorry 16 because i had to have a car to get there my dad did not like motorcycles so he didn't even really he didn't know i had one from <laughs> 17 on I, I kept it in a friend's garage uh, uh, but, i think we all do stuff like yeah, that oh yeah yeah so uh but yeah so my first race was at corona as well yeah okay so how funny that motocross how many motocross guys oh yeah and the bike thing is just hand in hand with the and we learned that more and more over the past couple of years for sure well once it gets into your blood i think that the you know like craig was sharing already I mean, he just loves competition just you know any and you put it on two wheels it's even better you know mm -hmm. the adrenaline goes up and you know just good healthy competition nothing well, wrong with and, that and the other part i had shared with you is you also took your competition to a different level because then you started kind of judging it. Yeah, I um, as after I I kind of did the whole I did BMX, and it got me to a certain point, uh, and then after my father died and I had to I had to choose between operating the stores, and operating um, RS, and it was still in infancy and I wasn't sure I was going to make it. I certainly. I wasn't even sure I knew how to run the bike stores, to tell you the truth. I yeah. didn't know. And I was very nervous. I was now responsible for my mother's income. I was also responsible for my brother's income because he was in college trying to get through there. So I kind of said goodbye to RS, but I knew I was going to miss racing really, really bad. Still writing for some magazines and stuff. So I applied at a couple different companies to be their team manager. And Howie Cohen from Kuahara hired me. And uh, I ran Kuahara's race team for two years. They, he gave me a, a good budget. I got to pick some great things. I moved Clint Miller over to Kuahara. He and I became amazingly good friends. He's a great guy. We're still friends to this day. Gary Ellis was already there. 
uh, Lee Medlin came in. These were all a couple other people from my old RS team, Troy Danisov. And I had two amazing years running Kuahara's race program, which culminated in the first UCI World Championships in Holland, where Clint won the pro class and Gary won the 17 expert, the highest amateur class. So kind of when that was all over with, I said, I need to do something else, not, not much less to do. So I was reading a newspaper and I saw a thing that there was Redlands Bicycle Classic was Redlands was going to have a bicycle race, road race. So I went to the first meeting and that got me in to the, involved in the bike classic. It, I took classes during, to become an uh, official and started officiating regular bike races, road races. And that led me on to officiating later on, getting a, uh, become a UCI mountain bike official and officially mountain biking. So when I am not a great athlete, when I couldn't really compete at a high level, I like to stay involved in the high level by being involved in another way. And that way became putting on races and officiating races. I can relate to that. That's why I run a race team. Yeah, <laughs> it is. So that's awesome. So you touched on something you, you were involved with um, officiating for mountain bike events. So mm -hmm. as I go out to mountain bike events now and um, this year with Cyclery coming on as a sponsor of the T3 mountain bike race program it's great because the old timers yeah. <laughs> the old timers see it on my jersey and they like oh craig's a great guy and they 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 tie in you know how how you've been involved with the sport in the past and it's it's always a good thing and it's good it's a, a it's positive, a positive vibe, it's yeah. a positive vibe and it it's it's awesome to be for, for myself now to be part of that and to know, yeah, Craig's a great guy. And, I, and you, early on, you just, you didn't hesitate and it, it showed your passion for the sport um, to, to support the, our program, our race program, you know? And so I think it, that's awesome. That's, it's uh, I think the big, yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off, no. but like the big bear one, when it was, that was our first one going out with the canopies right. and Tom, yeah, Tom um, Spiegel from Team Big Bear. Oh, my gosh. He was like, because he didn't know where where I landed. He didn't know I was working for you. First of all, I got my big old hug, and he's like, you're under a cyclery tent. I'm like, yeah. He's like, is Craig coming? You know, like, so excited on how your guys' friendship, because you'll never work for a more real dude ever in this industry. Like, and that's the vibe we get. I mean, honestly, like, we, wherever we go, someone has something positive, not just about Psychery. One of the guys knew your dad. Like, so it's cool because that history all plays into what yeah. what we love too, you know? I, I, you know, every opportunity I had, you know, going up, whether it was first with BMX and then through the road years and then into the mountain years as I got there, I always, wherever I could, I got involved in the sport. I tried to support people that, really wanted to be involved in the sport. I had early mountain bike teams. I ran races first, uh, what now is called East Highlands Ranch. It's Highland in the foothills up there. I knew a guy up there when mountain biking was starting and we talked him into, it was owned by Mobile Oil, but they hadn't built all the house yet. And he liked bike riding. And I talked to him and let him do mountain bike race up there. So we were doing mountain bike races up there. I was doing it with two of my closest friends, Bob Hadley and Jerry Foss, who were also UCI officials, 
Bob was employed at the time with uh, GT Bicycles, and we did those type of events and got people involved in racing there. And then when that expired after a couple of years, they started to build more houses there. We got we met with a guy over here in uh, what is now Holder Crooks Park. We ran races there for three years uh, until finally we got tossed because. Uh, some of the landowners, the land city was buying up the land from the landowners and it upset the landowners because they weren't going to be able to build houses. So they pulled the plug out from us. Mm -hmm. But I loved all those years of racing, you know, that at the same time I would be sponsoring a local, you know, five or six guys that hold a crooks would be guys I was sponsoring, you know, one's still my CPA. Uh, and those type of friendships and those types of things are fun. And what I really liked best on the officiating side of mountain biking was the relationships, just like you're talking about. I spent so many great weekends in Big Bear with Pat and Tom that ran Team Big Bear. I spent, I've spent more time at Mammoth, and I'm a skier, but I spent more time at Mammoth in the dirt than I did in the snow <laughs> because I was up there for all the, the kamikaze events and all that stuff. And the relationships I developed with the, the promoters, uh, with the pro riders, yeah. uh, all that. It was fantastic, and it was so, so much fun. And then eventually I got to the highest level where I got to start working World Cups in other countries. I got to work the uh, World Championships in Australia. And actually my final race, because I was just getting tired and needed a change, I was the chief official for the 2002 World Championships in Austria. And that was a, a week long of horrible weather and torrential rain and lots of stress. And it was, I mean, all worked out, but it was just a very, very stressful week. You, when you're in a, the chief official, they, they bring in five, four people to assist you who you've never met before. Great people, and they were all qualified. But you have about a day to get to know each other, and then you're putting on the biggest race of the year and you have to know what to expect of them and they from you and it was stressful but it was it, it was great and those experiences are stuff that i am will cherish the rest of my life yeah and i'm sure tina your wife loved you during those times huh <laughs> yeah she goes you go to the fun places and i stay home my son was literally when i went to australia was literally six months old he just my first son had just been born and i she said i said look I know I get to go to these cool places, but let me explain to you. <laughs> I see three things. Mm -hmm. I see the airport, the hotel, and the racetrack, mm -hmm. none of which will you be interested in. Right. So it's not like I'm yeah. – everybody who went to Australia but me probably made it out on the Great Barrier Reef. I was in charge of registration. I was parked at a table until uh, it was over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've been there. Oh, yeah. I've, I've told my wife the same thing because I've – you know, the second time that I had the opportunity to go to Andorra – you know, and she's like, how was it? And I said, it was great. Did, I rented a car in Barcelona, drove the kids to the race, went under a tent, worked on bikes all weekend, and then we drove back to the airport. That's how my weekend went. <laughs> and that's, that's the reality of it. The only time that ever changed is when my, la my year when we went to the World Championships for BMX with Clint and Gary because they both won. We were on a plane supposed to come back two days afterwards, right, two or three days afterwards. But because they both won, all the distributors in Kuahara wanted to see them. So we could have we stayed another week. We went to uh, back to England. We went to a couple other places in um, 
in France and in Austria and I think in Germany too. But we could have stayed two more weeks probably. They wanted us more places, but uh, uh, my uh, writer's, my pro's girlfriend was getting tired of being gone and was on him every single day. <laughs> so he goes, I know I'll get a chance to come back. And we were talking a couple months ago and he goes, because he, he can't, he, um, before he moved out of state, worked for me for a little while after he retired from a, a long career at another job because he loves bikes. And he said, yeah, never went back. Should have stayed another couple of weeks. I go, yeah, especially since someone was paying for it all for yeah, us. Right? Exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. right? But uh, that's the only other time we I really did any serious sightseeing is because they both won. So Isn't that cool, around. though? Like, I know we have, I mean, we've been doing the team for a long time, but the kids that call you a few years later and it's like, thanks for the life lessons. Thanks for being there and what you harped on me this about it plays into my life now so i think that's the rewarding part we get out of running the team yeah, for sure it's one of the rewards for sure uh, it, it is it's uh, you know uh i've done you know all the bike racing teams and the things like that and them and and also uh growing up i had a before i got into this i had a passion for coaching other sports i coached a lot of kids in football and baseball and stuff so yeah and you I, have your two boys yeah. so you're juggling I, a lot. Coach them. But I look back, and every time I see someone from there and they have positive things to say, it makes you so um, proud that you you were able to help them in any way, shape, or form. And if they had, you know, any great experiences that you helped them with, you, to, just to be their sponsor and to get them to races they might not have been able to go to, to let them experience things they couldn't have experienced without you, um, you know, and when they tell you that, especially – when you run across them and they become successful individuals. Uh, I didn't see Mike Miranda for probably, probably a gap of 30 years. And we just had a great ring. We ran each other into each other in a conference, you know, people like that. And I'm so grateful for the opportunities I had to spend with them. And I'm so grateful for the, um, the friendships. One of my, I hadn't seen the guy that won, um, uh, the part I didn't mention on the, uh, RS thing is, the year, the following year after I introduced the 24-inch cruiser, one of my guys rode it for the first year and won the national title on it. His name was Joe Claveau. And Joe won the national title for us on RS, and that was my last year. My father had died of May of that year, but my father told me at the time, he goes, you need to, you know, take care of him this year and do this with him and, you know, reward him. Actually, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. He died the May of the following year after Joe had won because he was telling me what to do for him at the end of the year for next year because he had done so well. My father really wanted me to try to support them even though he knew he was um, terminally ill. But I hadn't, about five years ago, I get a phone call and Joe goes, hey, I, I haven't talked to him in 20 years. He goes, can we have lunch? And I go, yeah, sure. So he comes rolling in the door with the bike that he won the national championship <laughs> and the plate's still on it. He goes, this has been in my garage for 30 years, but let's be honest, it's really yours. He goes, here you go. That's I awesome. Go, How cool. Thank you so much yeah. to return this, turn this home. Yeah. yeah. That's rad. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, relationships, all the stuff, the best part of all of it wasn't travel was any, it's just the relationships that you develop with, all these people and uh yeah right. it's well that's one thing we always teach the kids like you don't burn bridges because you don't know who's going to be your boss your best friend your you don't know what you're going to need or that middle of the night phone call you're going to get like you just always keep those and you know and um a rep taught me a long time ago um your village you know your village is small 
So okay. those those two people, and it's funny because that comes so full, fast forward, right? And you get in that call. I just talked to one of our guys this morning at 6.30, called just to say hi and to see how Coach and I are doing. And it's cool because Jared Hansen, who was on one of ours, he just does a, a check-in because he went through a lot and he left and he's like, went to be a salesman and he's like, I used what you guys taught me so much in my everyday life. Like, I couldn't get the kid to make a bed. Still doesn't, but the other stuff he does, you know, it's like, <laughs> and, and so it's cool because exactly that phone call and Miranda being a friend of all of ours, he's full of life and everything and the guy's real, you know, and that's, that's the cool yep. part that we all got to see is that real Mike Miranda and like to know that where it starts from, you know, when you had first told me that story, I was like, Oh my God, I know this guy, you know? So it's like we, and Clint Miller, I mean, I was his son's first boss, right? Right. So like Nick's. So it's so funny on how full circle this industry is. It is. If you're in this industry for a long time, you will, you you will recross and recross a lot of paths. And none of those things were in my mind when I was doing it. I was too young. I was just excited about the sport and helping people and all that stuff. And it was decades later before I figured out that, you know, there was a lot of uh, special <laughs> things that happened that I didn't even realize how certain things that I didn't even think about told me, oh, that really impacted me when you did that. And I'm like, oh, and I don't really think about, remember it that. It came but naturally. It, but, but it, okay, it was good. I'm glad. You know, I'm glad, glad it was a positive thing for you. Yeah. I'm going to go back to, to one of the things you started to, uh, you touched on, and that was the uh, start of the Redlands Classic. Uh-huh. Huge event. I mean, it, at the for a lot of years there, it was the, um, I, if I remember right, it always started with Sea Otter. Then I think the following weekend was Redlands, or it was soon it was, soon it, thereafter. It was we it was flipped. We were Redlands okay. and Sea Otter. Before that, it was Redlands and Mammoth. We always tried to to work with other uh, organizations around her to come out. The classic started in um, uh, when I, in nineteen. I have to think back here, 85. And I went, like I said, I decided, I just finished with all the BMX stuff and I went to a meeting and I, I won't forget it because I walked into a meeting and sat down at this table and I'm looking around and I don't know anybody here. I know the mayor's here. I know the council's here. I didn't know any of these people. I'm probably, I don't know what I am, probably, you know, 26. Yeah. You know, in there and looking around, 27. My father had, just died the year, but you know, two years prior. I'm just trying to feel it. And I said, This can be a bet in town. I should, you know, my store should be involved in it. So I'm looking at this. And I knew nothing about road racing. I've been to one road race to watch in my life. And that was the year before uh, 84. I rode my mountain bike down and watched the road race of the Olympics. Okay. Down in, down in LA. And Michigan, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. So that'd be the only road race I'd ever seen. So I come into this room, and there's all these people. And there's one guy who obviously knows what he's doing. His name was Peter Brandt, and he'd been involved in race for years and was from Denmark and trained. So I'm sitting in his room, and there's the mayor and all these people, and they're going around the room, and I'm looking at this field. There's a fire chief and a police chief. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm a little, you know, I'm a lot of sorts here. And they go around the room, and everybody's introducing themselves, and they go, and Carol, the mayor, who now is one of my closest friends, she says, what's your name, and tell me a little bit about what you know about bikes. And I said, well, um, my name's Craig Kundig. I own Redland, Cycl- Redland Schwinn Cycler, which was what it was called at the time. 
and uh, I've put on a lot of BMX races, which is, you know, kids racing and run BMX team. She goes, okay, you're the public race director. Next. <laughs> I go, what happened here? <laughs> so basically I went and talked to her after she goes, yeah, I want you to put on the public, the kids races. And so that's about how it happened. And I got involved in the race that year. I, I fell in love with racing again. It was on the road, learned more and more about it, did kids racing started helping the race director and then in about year eight i became the uh, race director and took over the main operation for running the race uh, carol was uh raising the funds and all that i had great people from the community that i really got to know it was it was probably at that point in my life i'd say 90 percent of the friends i had were you know i'd either drug into that or i'd met through that and then from that for the next 12 years i was um, 10 years I was the race director and then a few more years I turned that over to the guy that I thought would replace me and became the marketing director for the event. So I did a 20-year run, took five years off and then couldn't stay away and went back and I've been the marketing director the last uh, seven, eight years. Okay. You also started a really, uh, really big uh, name for a road team. Yeah. Um, again, I love competition, so we had our own road racing team, and first trying to get it off the ground, it was tough, and couldn't really get it going, and we were doing okay, and then um, I, uh, uh, we got an offer for, um, uh, from a company called Cytomax to be a sponsor for us. It was one of the, just come out on the market. So we uh, took the money, hired a few guys, and uh, one of my closest friends was racing Cat 3, who now works here, Warren Gillard was the thing, and he took over the the operation of the pro team, and we did the best we could, and we built a team. We said, let's try to make a splash at the Classic. So this was in 1991. We had a, a local team for a while, really hadn't done much, and then in 1991, we built this team. A couple guys from Europe who came over to stay here, put it all together. And the Soviet national team was here, and Super Montgomery was here, and we won. And it was unheard of. Well, that was the Trek Cytomax team, which developed a little bit later. We merged with the Sheriff's Department. They started helping us, and then a little. We said, then we said, we really need to get a good manager. So we merged with a gentleman by the name of Danny Van Hout, a former Olympian. And we had several sponsors together, and it was Danny and I and a gentleman from the Sheriff's Department, Bob Pepler, were kind of, and another friend of mine, Steve Zamaris, the four of us were kind of the running it. And then um, a connection of mine from the Classic had moved away. He'd moved up north, and he was an attorney, uh, Scott Reynolds, and he was the attorney now for uh, Jelly Belly. So I said, hey, I wonder if they want to sponsor a team. So he goes, I don't know, let's see, let's have a meeting. So I went up there with Bob and... Um, our team, uh, which is still listed as Team Redlands, that's the official license name of the team, became the uh, Jelly Belly Cycling Team, and that lasted as a title sponsor that team for over 20 years. It's the longest title sponsorship in American cycling wow. ever. And they now are the, um, uh, get the name right there, now the Wildlife Generation Cycling Team, and Danny's in his 20-something year of coaching. But, yeah, that was a... So that little thing, and they took over the Team Redlands, and they became 
their national team. It was very cool. Yeah, that's awesome. A lot of first, a lot of uh, he started a lot of the things that's in play today. You know, oh so yeah, that's cool. no, for sure. I mean, that's all the stuff that you're talking about. You're, you know, t- timing is a lot of of what happens, but also um, something that Lala and I have talked about a lot too is jumping in. You know, you you have to jump in. You can't just you know if you're going to be a bystander, you're going to be a bystander, and you're not going to be able to talk about these things because you watch them happen instead of helping to make them happen and right. you're you're one who's jumped in at the forefront of a lot of you know bmx mountain biking i mean you talked talked about mountain biking in 1984 there were what maybe two production mountain bikes in 1984 maybe yeah. you know yeah so you know the, the, there weren't companies it wasn't what it is today and for sure it wasn't you know even 10 years after that in the, the early 90s i mean here's you know we're talking about um, I, I almost don't like to say it because people say, oh, you know, mountain biking back in its heyday. Yes, it was, you know, big, big events with, uh, lots of sponsors, but it's still going on today. It just looks different, you know? Yeah. And so, um, but, you know, back in the nineties, of course, you know, you had, you know, corporate teams you know car sponsorships all these you know lots of money flowing which is what that means more than anything yeah so that's always one of the the things for for lala and i because we love the sport so much and it's like how do we get how do we get some of that back something back you know but i don't know struggle's real yeah (laughs) (laughs) struggle is real i mean it's hard yeah no it, it is and you know i found that uh a lot of my success has really been because the people that I've been involved with doing it. You know, Networking. I a, yeah, I had a great partner that helped me that didn't get a lot of credit. It's unfortunately since passed away, named Rick Lance, that I knew when I was in the early days of RS before he moved on. You know, obviously the people that helped with the classic, I got a lot of credit because later on because I became the race director. But it was really an amazing team effort from a lot of people. I mean, and I learned so much from Carol. She was my mentor growing up having her as my mentor. I I tell you, she's a mayor. She's also, she's, she's a first person, first president of the country club in Redlands, first president of board of trustees at the university of Redlands, first female mayor in Redlands. I mean, this is, and that was a person that was running the class at time and meeting her, it was a, a mentor to me, someone I learned a lot from, you know, growing up because she, you know, knew how to get things done. Yeah. And so that it's been a lot of, it's like you have to jump in, but you also have to jump in with the right people at the right time. And I've just ha- been amazingly blessed when I've got involved in different things to have had great people, you know, there to support me when I have my uh, crazy whim to go try something. So, <laughs> we know all about those. Yeah. Oh, Crazy yeah. whims. Why, why do you think we're doing a podcast? Because <laughs> somebody's sitting in this room that's not you or me, Craig, had a crazy whim. Yeah. You know, yeah. like some, you know, this is something that's not out there. It's it, and it's exactly this. It's excuse my language, shooting the shit and enjoying what, why we're where we're at. You know, yeah. not just, not just in life, but in the bicycle industry. Like a lot of firsts that you started. Like I'm intrigued every time I get to hear a story. I, I can soak it all in and then I'll go tell Jay, oh my God, did you know Craig did this? And I share it with him because same thing, the passion. And I think that's what people are truly into it. That passion is there. Like you're not saying, hey, I was the total retail person. You're like, that wasn't me. I loved all this stuff. 
you know, and now I love people. I love the retail. I love setting up at events. I love, I love selling. We sell, we sell a way of life, uh, an outlet, uh, you know, something fun. It, you know, everyone goes to work, but when you go to work and enjoy going to work, that is when you know you could say you accomplished something because I don't like, oh, I got to go to work. I love being at work. Yeah. I love getting people on bike and that first smile that you get somebody on a bike and you're like, and then they come back a month later. It's like, I've ridden every day or, you know, I put on this many miles or my blood pressure is down or, you know, and it's all of that. And, and you, I mean, have been a great inspiration to me in the past five months because your passion where you can be totally burnt out right now, you're about driving forward. And that's huge, and that's what's gotten you successful to where you're at, you know? I, I give my my doing much better in the last couple decades in the business thing, I give a lot of that credit to one of my suppliers. I truly give that to Trek because as I would go to every year, go to their annual meetings, and we would look and look and look, and they'd go to the top 25 awards. Not that we cared. We ran usually in there, but finally at one point I go, we can do better. I can do better. I need to, and you know, I needed. They they were a big source, at, a big source for information for me and pushing me in an area that I never pushed for. It was easy for me to push racing. That was just in my blood. The coaching and teaching and building cool bikes and stuff like that and working for that. I loved all that stuff, but I didn't really, you know get excited about the retail until I really still literally Trek started sticking challenges in front of me and telling me, Hey, you know, you can do this. The, the original owner of Trek, uh, um, uh, John Burke's father, Dick is also someone who truly, you know, inspired me when I talked to him, this gentleman would be in another country and have take time to send me a postcard. Just one of his dealers saying, how you doing? How's it going? And he, they, the, they really, really, make a program that is to make your their dealers better they challenge you and, and, and obviously with your competition and everything else here they're challenging you okay you're here how do you get here and that's what the jump thing with you know um steve harvey says it amazingly and this is one of the he's very inspirational like as far as talking and stuff and what jay was talking about too is it, it you know and then we talked about it it's like you jump you're gonna land flat on your face it's how you get up and respond to that jump. You're going to get a thousand, you've heard this, a thousand no's before it takes one yes. Yep. You know, and and it's, it's it goes in every aspect of life. And like, I'm, I'm sure you, you know, with us with the race team, we've gotten no's. But you know, we also see these kids' faces that light up when we can put them on a bike and take them to a race. And some of them's like, this is the first time I'm out of Southern California. Yep. And it's like, really? Or like, first time they ate somewhere or, you know, like, scene we took kids to ground took, took zero a kid, he got his first experience at waffle house he was so excited <laughs> yeah <laughs> you, you you and i learned many years afterwards you're 100 percent correct because lots and lots of things that you didn't even think as you were doing it how it will impact every kid differently and stuff it's 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 very cool so you know like i said i can look back and on all those years it's just not only a lot of fun, but I'm really grateful that when every time I hear from someone, they said, "Hey, that was neat. Thank you for doing that for me." So I'm cool. Yeah, I look. That makes me really happy that I made a lot of the choices that I made. But and then now it's uh, uh, full speed ahead in the uh, retail. Now that's my um, 
that is now my competition. Yeah. Well, and I know I have an employee that's been long history with you who was in the BMX days, mm-hmm. Mr. Jimmy Pratt, who's yes. one, of, one of my guys over there. And, you know, I, I've just recently, they've been showing me pictures of when he rode BMX for vans. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's cool because they'll print out like, Lala, this is Jimmy. And so I'm like, dude, why don't you know? And he's like, he's so modest about who he was or what he did. Yeah. You know, and I just, I mean, I just knew him as the trick tops guy, you know? Yeah. And then it's like, you know, our friendship is exactly what you said. It's like our friendship that we've gotten, you know, Tanner over there. Like, I know I got my challenges when you gave me that store, but it's, they're there and they've been with you for a long time. Like yeah. that speaks volumes, but happy long time. Not because I mean, Jimmy can go work anywhere or doesn't need to work. Right. right. But like he still is here for a reason. Yeah. And so it's cool because that speaks volumes on you as well. And I'm sure with anybody you have, you have your battles, whatever, but at the end of the day, you know who has your back. I'll tell you a quick story since you brought up Jimmy and you brought up and we've discussed Mike Miranda. So right before the, near the end of RS, I decided another idea. I said, look, if a 24-inch wheel can get out of the gate <laughs> faster than a 26, then a 16-inch wheel should be able to get out of the gate faster than a 20. And we all know that in these days, most BMX races were won by the, we called it the first obstacle, was a jump or a corner. So we are sitting around talking about this, and we grab a frame, a true story. We flatten out a pair of Schwinn training widgets, which are so beefy. Flatten them all out, everything, cut some new holes in them, bolted it on the back of one of our 20-inch bikes, put a 16-inch wheel in there, built a brake bridge to get it down there. So we basically have Frankenstein this bike <laughs> and made it a 20-inch front wheel and 16-inch rear. And uh, go, okay. And, I'm, and again, people are looking at me, and most of my guys are going, what? You're nuts. And I think part of it is my motorcycle history, right? We all grew up on motorcycles. That the front and rear wheel were never the same yeah. size on a motocross bike. So, hey, we'll give this a shot. So Jimmy uh, Jimmy is, says, I'll ride it. All right. So he went out to the, the local YMCA track, which is the Corona Norco YMCA. And uh, he, was, he was a pro, and so was Mike then. And first time out there they're obviously everybody's making fun of him you know what is this and but he won the, the <laughs> night and so then it's like another night a few of them are out there again and they're, they're this time they're just going to take it more serious you know they figured okay we just we were so busy laughing you know you beat us but then he won again and i think it was three or four weeks in a row that he won every night out there and then the rest of them quit showing up for that night because it was they were literally too embarrassed to be beat by the way but they were just being beat by technology he wasn't he was fast. He was. They were all very equally fast that were there, but we were trying, just like with the 20th century, we were trying to find a way to get an edge, a technological edge. And it was true. Nobody beat him out of the gate. Yeah. So, and it looks so funny too. You've got a little wheel there, and you got like a 55 front chain wheel because you've got to, you know, pull that small wheel. It yeah. was. It was fun. And I only built one prototype for that, and it was again near the end of uh, RS. My father and. That's probably the only thing I'm missing. I still would like to find. I know where it went. I just don't know where it is now. That's my my last piece of my RS history. Searching for my, <laughs> well, if anyone knows my, about my, that out there, you guys let us know. Yeah, and that's my real one. We built one. It was really pretty. It got tested by Eddie Fiola in the magazine, and that was uh, uh, one of my last real creation of RS before we hung it. And up. so that's a, the 
Is it, maybe that's the first, uh, well, you said that Schwinn was doing some different sized wheels on their Stingrays way back when, but I think they well, did they, a, they were they did a small, right? They did the small right. front wheel and then the bigger. Right. And so they, they did the crate with a little 16 front wheel in the spring. So of you, you may be the first one to do what they call now a mullet bike. Yes. Because that's a thing in right. mountain bikes now, right? The, yes. the 29 front, 27.5 rear. Right. So. There was actually a. Well, uh, the two years I coached the Kuahara BMX team, mountain bike was coming out, and they asked me, Howie Cohen asked me if, because I wrote for a magazine, if I would write the, uh, write little intros to his, uh, to their mountain bikes for their catalog. Their catalog was all named after cats for some reason. That's just, they chose, they had a Jaguar and a Cougar and whatever. And their top bike was a 26-inch wheel with a 24-inch rear wheel which i thought was so cool again motocross clicking my brain. yeah oh, this is so cool yeah but uh yeah so yeah i i think he beat me there but he, he and i had the same you know he and i had the same thought that way uh that uh there's a, some advantage to having the big wheel up front to roll over things better and the smaller wheel in back for acceleration so you brought up something rolling thing rolling over things who can help us keep things rolling lala well, we're presented by Kenda, sponsor, um, longtime sponsor of the T3 race program. A lot of athletes out there on them. They run them different styles. Front could do the mullet. They got it. Um, I always say the pinner because that's, that's the go-to for some most of our team riders. But I know Jay runs different setups on his, and so does the guys. So Kenda, Huck and Ride 30, if you go to their website, type that in in your coupon code when you're ready to check out. You get 30% off. Anything on their website, bike-related, um, Huck and Ride 30. Yeah, and I was just thinking, you know, it doesn't matter, like, it's cyclocross season, right? Like, cyclocross season is in full swing. They make some great cyclocross tires. So, you know, no matter what uh, tire you're looking for on, for your bicycle, unicycle, anything. Uh, and if you need it tomorrow, you know. Cycler USA has them in stock. I know I do in my Riverside location. Yep. So come check it out there too. So yeah. bring bring the fam, check it all out. Thank you, Kenda. So uh, going back, so it's funny because you, you started um, talking about, Craig, the uh, different wheel sizes. And that's one of the things because I was thinking this way early on in our uh, podcast here, because you were saying how you like to make things work and fix things and figure out how to make it better. And so I was going to ask you what your, what your take was on the mullet, you know, thing. And, and, uh, you kind of explained it in BMX already, but what's your, what's your take now? Cause you, you said, you know, you're more into the retail side now, but your brain still gotta be, be thinking things about, uh, I, I, I like the concept. I think, um, you know, uh, like I said, I grew up with it on motorcycles. I still like the concept. I certainly understood the concept of just when the 29 came out, the bigger wheel rolls over stuff better. That's why I had, you know, I don't know what era you were riding. I was riding, you know, motorcycles with an 18 in the back or mm -hmm. and then a 21 in the front. Yep. And they went as big as 23s as just experimenting, just like bikes were, and even smaller, I think, down to 16s or 15s in the rear with big, fat tires. And everybody's always trying to find the right setup. So... The concept to me, I like. I don't know if it'll ever be popular. There's, there's people that say that it's, it has some control issues based that the uh, axis of rotation on the wheels are, are different from each other. Um, we didn't notice that when we were racing the the 2016 and testing it. 
uh, I do believe the smaller wheel, there's something to be said for a smaller wheel, uh, lower mass, uh, easier sell easier acceleration, easier climbing, just because the smaller the flywheel, the easier it is to get it moving. Obviously, once you get it moving, the, the mass is good. So I, I think it's cool. I, I'm just excited that our industry keeps, you know, keeps pushing it. You know, uh, mountain bikes have changed a lot. Um, uh, I get a little bummed sometimes, no matter what it is, if the like the UCI checks in and starts eliminating stuff saying this isn't can't do this or can't do that. I understand it if it's from a safety point of view, like limiting the weight on a road bike so we don't make it so light that, that it just doesn't stay together in surge. But when they start saying, Oh, these rider positions aren't can't use this rider position or we can't you can't do this, can't do this or when they said every I think at one point there's a rule that every road bike had to have a, a, a seat tube in the triangle, you know, I don't why? but they did. So I love to see technology. I love to see people try new things. Sometimes it works, sometimes it fails. But I think if you don't keep trying to make the product better, if you don't keep trying to find a new way to do it, you know, then it's just going to get stale. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. One of the things I'm always fascinated about is, um, yeah, I'm trying to think my first mountain bike was maybe 1989 and it was a GT. And comparing that to, you know, what I would rode in 95, then comparing that to what I rode in 2000. Mm -hmm. And I think in 2001, I got my first downhill bike. And I was just, I think on our last podcast, or maybe two, two ago, I was commenting about how now my stump jumper, which is, uh, you know, not even the stump, stumpy Evo, just the regular stump jumper, it works better than my first downhill bike did. I mean, I would hands down like the geometry on it and stuff. I mean, I, I love to see how they've pushed, continue to push. I mean, the geometry on bikes is, is so different mm -hmm. than what it was even 10 years ago. And they work so much better. And it, that part excites me because I like to see smiling faces on bikes and it just, and it, you know, e-bikes, you know, the, with the evolution of e-bikes coming into play, it's just getting more people on bikes. Yeah. And that's, that's what I love to see. And I think that's probably part of what feeds all three of us here. Just the, you know, the excitement of, of our sport, you yeah. know, uh, my love was, uh, this stuff is mountain bike kept changing was again, motorcycle background was suspension. We all knew when suspension first came into mountain bikes, it wasn't going to be great. I mean, a lot of the bikes, the suspension absorbed more of your energy than it did, did <laughs> help you at all, mm -hmm. right? You mean those elastomers? Yeah. Come on now. All, all <laughs> kinds of stuff like that. And then I remember when RockShocks first came out, and I'm looking at them going, this is, I don't know, is this really, I like the idea, but it's really going to work. And then all of a sudden it was, I don't remember which world championships it was. It might have even been one of them that was in America, uh, I don't remember, but I remember looking at the results going, wow, I think everybody who won every category was running a rock shock. So either it's really helping or they're you know paying all these people to use it, but it, it started to convince me and it took a while as we all know. I mean, obviously it got better and, and rear was, was all over the place, you know, they, you know, and, and the technology that changed with here, I was so intrigued. I, I was, when, 
GT did the iDrive because that's what I was mm -hmm. wondering all along, saying, okay, the suspension in those days, I think the the the, the chain wheel and suspension should run on the same axis, and there the chain isn't you know fighting itself when you're when the suspension's working. It's not pulling back and forth. So I was really impressed with that, and I'm really impressed with the technology. Some of the companies that come up with now specialize in tracks, ways of of linkage and stuff that really allows your suspension to be active when you're going into corners and mm -hmm. you got your brakes on. I mean, I, I'm stunned there's still bikes out there that when you go into a corner and you put your brakes on. Yeah, get the brake jack. Yeah, I mean, yeah. why would you, you know, that to me is giving yourself a severe disadvantage by uh, not being able to go through the corner near as fast because of that. So everything that has to do with suspension, wheel size, shocks, everything that that's all the real intriguing part to me because i think truly in today's world whether we're talking cross country or, or downhill that's what makes it you go faster and also really makes it safer yeah because those those things when i watch now i mean i i haven't officiated a mountain bike race since 2002 but yeah you know, and i would have to walk a course as the official and approve it which means i had to be comfortable that we were not going to be safe so i would obviously ask you know people i would ask tomac and i would ask you know others that i had a great respect for you know is this okay here is this going to be cool or is there anything you're bothered by on this course before i you know sign it off and um now when i watch on tv like i'll be watching the pros and i'm watching them go through these rock guards and stuff i'm going i i am absolutely stunned when i watch them go through that they're upright yeah, I mean, I'm watching them yep. dance through those yeah. things. Yeah, uh, what, what the the technology of the bikes and the skills of the riders right now has just got to a level that I never quite saw coming. Well, when you come out to one of the races with us, because like we were just in New Jersey, there was a, like me walking down part of it. I mean, I'm walking in the bu in the bushes, the dirt off the side. Understand? And I stand and I look at these rocks, Jay, and the kids, Grace and Thomas. You know, they were up on the rock, and, I mean, it's a good 10 feet up there, and you're landing into boulders. I'm like, really? Is the bike going to break down here? Is the wheel going to break? Is Are you going to be okay? I normally try not to do tra uh, walk, uh, track walk because the whole time I'm thinking, please, I'm already get down safe. You know, I have other people's kids with us, right. you know. I seen that part, and I'm like, really? You guys go from there to there? They're like, oh, yeah. Like nothing, and I'm like, and Jay loves that. I mean, he, this oh, guy is sitting what, here does that. What's stuff. awesome too is, and that's where, kind of what I was touching on before is just to see the sport grow. You know, mm -hmm. because there's there's so many ten to twelve year old kids out there now going down those rocks. We have a nine year old that, on our team that yeah, will follow yeah, you. Into but, it. And yeah, yeah, and it's you know it's something that twenty years ago uh, I wouldn't have thought that way because. One, I didn't have the skills, but two, the the bike wasn't capable, you know. Yeah. And so now, now we have those things. I've worked on the skills; they're still not that great, but <laughs> the bikes are so capable. And so it brings, you Confidence know, it, level. it brings the generation into just what you talked about being safe. That's you know, it, it's people are like, oh, it's so dangerous what you do. Yes, the the risk is there, but you do it in a controlled environment with a safe you know you when you have the right equipment it makes it that much more enjoyable because oh, it's it capable mm -hmm. so yeah 
All right. I think we can also do a part two with Mr. Cundy oh, himself. We There's totally, so much stories we here. We totally could. And we, we appreciate your time and the history and your giving to the sport and your continued uh, um, success with the stores yeah, and stuff. Too, yeah, so. it's, just, it's awesome to, to pick your brain and be able to have you share your stories. We appreciate that. Well, I appreciate being asked and said I'm, as Lala said, I, I have a deep passion for the sport. I just love it. I love being, being involved in it. I'm grateful for the opportunities that it's given me. No. Well, we're, we're thankful for you uh, coming on to the T3 team as well and Absolutely. doing this with us. And remember, three locations. Riverside, you can come see me. You got Rancho. You can go see the manager, Bob, over there. He's a, he's a lot of fun. He's a lot of them in our videos and stuff on the social media. Check out Cycler USA on the media. And in Redlands, Craig's on the floor here and there, but he, he does let Heather run the store. She's the manager. Better man at it than I am. Way better at it than he <laughs> is. Um, and Heather's the manager out here, but great cruise. We fix everything, bring it on in. And once again, thanks for thanks for taking the time to be with us. And I, I have to give a shout out because I have, uh, when I first started downhilling, um, my my go-to bike shop was owned by John Armakovich. Who's now who's now one of your uh, service techs over in uh, Ranch Cucamonga? So, yep. shout out to John Armakovich. and again, thank you for listening to Huck and Ride. And go to Kinda website, plug in that code Huck and Ride thirty. Don't forget to listen to us on the your favorite social media platform, and uh, give us a high five, thumbs up, whatever they require for you to uh, rate us. We appreciate it. And no matter where you're at, no matter what life and journey you're doing, keep, keep the, the rubber, rubber side, side down. down.